Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theatre, premiering in movie theaters October 21st, 1942, for Me and My Gal is very much the forgotten Judy Garland classic. Although a big hit in 1942, bringing in $4.8 million on an investment of just over $800,000, it's not as often revived as films like The Wizard of Oz, Meet Me in St. Louis, or even her two other pictures with Gene Kelly, The Pirate, and Summerstock. Yet it plays an important part in her career, marking the first time she would receive billing above the title, and it featured her most ambitious dramatic role to that time. It also gave Judy two numbers that would become staples of her later concert appearances, the title song, usually done in her concerts as a sing-along, and the song After You've Gone. As icing on the cake, it marked Gene Kelly's film debut and his role as a heel who's reformed by his love for the leading lady would become a standby for the dancing star. Like most of MGM's best musicals, For Me and My Gal was a product of Arthur Freed's production unit. Often hailed as the man who brought taste and sophistication to the film musical, Freed benefited from a strong eye for talent and stories and his openness to the advice of others. In this case, that openness would pay off big time. The original script, called, ironically, The Big Time, had unscrupulous song and dance man Harry Palmer involved with two women, a singer, the role intended for Garland, and a dancer, with the latter carrying most of the dramatic scenes as the woman he marries and betrays. At the time, legendary stage star and acting teacher Stella Adler was working at MGM as a production assistant and Freed asked her to review the script. She suggested combining the two female roles and giving Garland, whose work she had admired for years, a chance at her most dramatic role ever. She also suggested that he cast the yet-unproven Gene Kelly as the leading man. Freed ended up going with both ideas, which meant moving contract player George Murphy, originally scheduled for the lead, into a smaller role as the vaudeville star who loses Garland to Kelly. Freed had actually been interested in Kelly since he'd seen him in William Saroyan's Pulitzer Prize-winning Broadway play The Time of Your Life in 1939. At the time, however, Kelly wanted to establish himself with stage work. A year later, Kelly was the acclaimed star of the Broadway musical Pal Joey and had just choreographed Best Foot Forward on Broadway, and MGM came calling again. This time, Louis B. Mayer offered him a contract after seeing Pal Joey and telling him he didn't need to do a screen test. Then, through a communication snafu, Kelly was told he would have to test, so he declined to sign the contract. Instead, he signed with independent producer David O. Selznick. With his limited production slate, however, Selznick had no projects in line for Kelly, who spent his first year in Hollywood doing nothing. When Freed pushed MGM to cast Kelly in For Me and My Gal over the objections of Studio Brass, who didn't want to take a chance on an unproven film star, Selznick simply handed over his contract to the studio. 
Garland had also pushed for Kelly in the lead, and when he started on the film, she went to bat for him whenever he had a disagreement with director Busby Berkeley, whom she loathed. She also helped him adjust to acting for the camera. For her part, the role offered her a welcome chance to grow up. Her only prior shot at an adult role had been a few scenes as a woman who dies in childbirth in Little Nellie Kelly in 1940. For the rest of that film, she had played the woman's teenage daughter. Now she would spend an entire film as an adult, something she was already doing off-screen where she had recently married composer David Rose. Garland also loved the film's patriotic elements. She had been touring military bases and raising funds for the Allies even before the Pearl Harbor attack that pulled the U.S. into World War II. Now she got to entertain the troops on screen in a series of classic pop numbers including When You Wore a Tulip and Pack Up Your Trouble. Here now, on the March 22, 1943 episode of the Screen Guild Theater, are the original film stars Judy Garland and Gene Kelly with Dick Powell in For Me and My Gal. Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight for me and my gal. The starring players... This is Judy Garland. This is Gene Kelly. And this is Dick Powell. Lady Astor presents the Screen Guild players in For Me and My Gal. It's a story fondly dedicated to that branch of the show business that was called Vaudeville. And it stars Judy Garland as Joe Hayden, Dick Powell as Jimmy Metcalf, and Gene Kelly as Harry Palmer. when vaudeville was alive, the mecca of all vaudevillians was the Palace Theater on Broadway. And playing the palace was the object of all their hopes and ambitions. And vaudevillians still gather on the wide sidewalk in front of the theater, and over the traffic noises shout reminiscences of the old times when they killed the people and laid them in the aisles. You know, before the gym out back when there was a broken heart for every light on Broadway, the palace broke its chair, too. You can say that again. Remember Palmer and Hayden? Joe Hayden? Yeah. They played the heartbreak circuit trying to get here. Yeah? Yeah. We were all playing Clifton Junction, Iowa at the time they met. Harry Palmer was heading the bill in his comedy tramp act, and Joe Hayden was the mechanical doll in my act. Is that the flash act you called Jimmy Metcalf and company in a doll shop? That's right. And oh, what a turkey that was. Anyway, after our first show in Clifton Junction, Joe went for a walk around town. She stopped in a restaurant to get a cup of coffee when Harry Palmer walked up to her table and, without waiting for an invitation, sat down. Joe had been ignoring Harry all day, but that didn't bother Palmer. He had a pretty thick skin. 
Hiya, springtime. Mind if I sit down and have a cup of coffee with you? Well, thanks. I don't mind if I do. I always was a sucker for that old southern hospitality. Oh, look, Breathless, why don't you come off it? You know you're going to wind up calling me pet names. Look, I didn't like you at 7 o'clock this morning, and I don't like you now. And if you keep playing your cards right, I'm going to wind up hating you. Listen, fancy face, I caught you on the stage this afternoon. And starting next season, I'm doing a double act. You're going to be my partner. Oh, I am, huh? You said it. And standing next to me, you look like a million bucks in nickels and dimes. Palmer and Hayden. We'll fracture the people. Listen, I wouldn't be your partner if they booked us in the palace 51 weeks a year. I don't get it. Why? Oh, there are a lot of reasons. But you wouldn't understand any of them. Gee, I feel sorry for an egotist like you. Oh. Oh, look, Miss Hayden, I'm sorry. All that big talk about fracturing the people, that, well, that strictly small town talk on a lonesome night. Say, look, that actor in needs punching up here and there. Why, why don't you take this? What is it? It's a song I bought. <laughs> song for you and me to sing when we play the palace. Well, I, I couldn't think of Go that. ahead. It's no good to me without you. You and Jimmy Metcalf can do it. Well, gosh, I... I don't know how to thank you. I'm sorry I spoke Forget to... it. You had me pegged. I'm not going to win any blue ribbons for being a great guy. Say, would... Oh, Skip. Would I what? Well, I was just going to ask you if you'd sing the tune with me once, but after the way that well, I... Why not? I'd love to sing it with you, Harry. You would? Well, come on over to the piano. I'll try to pick it out for you. I'm a one-finger Paderewski. <laughs> well, then maybe you better let me play it. Here. Sometime we're gonna build a little home for 
Or four. Or five. Or maybe more. I'd been standing outside that little restaurant watching Joe and Harry ad-lib their song and dance routine, and I saw they were absolute naturals for each other. So I hurried back to the hotel to dream up some way to make Joe leave my act and team up with Harry. I was sitting in her room when she... Hi. Well, make yourself at home. Oh, thanks. I have already. Say, uh, did Harry Palmer ask you to team up with him? What do you mean? Well, I was walking around and saw you in that restaurant. You were swell together. Terrific. <laughs> if he didn't ask you to team up with him, he's crazy. Well, look, Jimmy, I'm... I'm kind of sleepy. Say, uh, uh... What did you tell him, Joe? I told him I already had a job. Yeah? Well, you haven't. I'm breaking up the act, Joe. What? Oh, no, you're not. I'm not going to have you making any noble sacrifices on my account. Who said anything about your account or noble sacrifices? I've got a new idea, and I'm going to try it out with Sid Sims. Just the two of us. You know, if I thought you were trying to pave the way for me... Oh, I... now, wait a minute. What are you talking about? This is business. Good business for everybody. Gee, Palmer and Hayden. Think of that. Huh? Palmer and Hayden. That's the way we're going to bill ourselves. <laughs> Well, as it turned out, breaking up the old act was good business for me. Yep, Metcalf and Sims did all right. Yeah, but Joe and Harry didn't get the breaks. And with both our acts busy, we didn't run into each other again until late 1917, after America had entered in the First World War. Sid and I had closed in Minneapolis, and we were heading for the palace when I read in Variety that Palmer and Hayden were playing in the Aladdin Theater in Chicago. So I went down there to see them, between trains. And when I got there, Joe was feeling pretty low and lonely. Gosh, I'm, I'm sorry Harry isn't here, Jimmy, but he's, he's out with a friend. You'll never guess who, either. Eve Menard. Eve Menard? The headliner, the Majestic? Uh-huh. Say, he's traveling in pretty fast company. Where'd he meet her? Oh, on the train last night. <laughs> you know Harry. She's a big success, and she's pretty, and, well... Joe. Joe, you're in love with that guy, aren't you? Harry... Oh, no, I'm not in love. Hey, Shorty. Remember me, Jimmy Metcalf? The fellow who played Clinton Junction with you? Now, come on. Level with me. Oh, Jimmy, it's way down deep inside me. He's wrong, but I love him. It's no good. Gee, what do you do when you love somebody so much and they don't even know you're around? I don't know, Joe. I... I guess you just keep running and loving him. Say, Joe... Well, hello, stranger. Oh, hi, Harry. Jimmy, I hear you're doing all right for yourself these days. Oh, not so bad. Well, I always like to see a young fella get ahead. Harry, we're on in a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah, I know. You better go on first and give me a chance to change. All right, but hurry, please. Yeah, how about you two having supper with me after the show tonight? Gee, I'd like to, Jimmy, but I got a date with Eve. You kids figure out something for yourselves. I got to change. So, that's the way it is, huh, Shorty? Yeah. That's the way it is, Jimmy. Well, you... you don't want to miss your cue. No. Make it good, Shorty. I'll be out front watching you. All right, Jimmy. I'll make it good. After you've gone and left me crying After 
We'll continue in just a moment with the second half of For Me and My Gal, starring Judy Garland, Gene Kelly, and Dick Powell. But first, here's a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. In a recent magazine article addressed to the women of America, an important government official said, There's nothing new about women in factories, but what is new are the kinds of jobs women are doing today and the kinds of women who are doing them. Well, we all know the tough, man-sized jobs women are now doing. And as for the kinds of women, just look at their pictures in newspapers and magazines. One thing is very evident. They are not letting their jobs make them look any less attractive. Their skin may be taking a lot more punishment from grease and flying dust, but they've turned to methods that meet today's special needs, methods that help keep their skin radiantly clean, fresh, and attractive, even under the most trying conditions. Now, thousands of women in war work have changed to Lady Esther four-purpose face cream, and there's a very good reason why. Here's one cream that by itself, does four different things always imprison to the skin, but right now especially so. First, Lady Esther face cream thoroughly cleans your skin, removing even stubborn dirt from the pore openings. Second, it softens your skin, relieves the dryness that often causes little lines, especially in these tense and anxious times. Third, it helps nature refine the pores. And fourth, it leaves a perfect, non-sticky base for powder. Now, if you're beginning to notice tired lines here and there due to dryness or perhaps an occasional blemish or big pore, don't wait for more serious skin troubles. Start using Lady Esther four-purpose face cream. And remember, this one cream is all you need for the complete care of your skin. Hi, this is Porsche Lights Marketing Associate, Justin Coker. Thank you for listening to WPMT. If you value programming like this, please consider making a donation today at porchlightmusictheater.org. We appreciate your consideration and hope you enjoy the show. We raise the curtain on Act Two of Metro-Golden-Mayer's For Me and My Gal, starring Judy Garland as Joe Hayden, Dick Powell as Jimmy Metcalf, and Gene Kelly as Harry Palmer. Adapted for radio by Bill Hampton. back to the sidewalk in front of the Palace Theater, where Jimmy Metcalf is telling his story of Harry Palmer and Joe Hayden, for me and my gal. Did even Art break up Palmer and Hayden, Jimmy? No, and that was the first time Harry Palmer acted like a decent guy. Eve offered Harry a spot in her act, but when it came time to tell Joe he was leaving her, Harry discovered that he loved Joe, and he walked out on Eve instead. Well, that was mighty wide of him. As a matter of fact, it must have been quite a struggle for Harry. Eve was playing the palace the next week. The palace. The center of every hope and dream and ambition that Harry had ever had. The palace. The thought that had kept him going during a lifetime of tank towns and one-night stands. Yes, sir, he would have given his right arm to play the palace. But because he loved Joe, he gave up that big chance. And they began packing to go to the next tank town. Hey, leaves in half an hour. You've got to help me pack, Joe. I'll around for Mr. Palmer. Okay, bring it in. Thanks. Well, what does it say, Harry? Is it bad news? Bad news? Joe, honey, listen to this. It's from our agent. 
Great opportunity. Palmer and Hayden booked into Palace, New York. First week in September. Congratulations, Baron Poland. Oh, Palmer and Hayden, honey, that's us. We're going to play the Palace. Oh, it's wonderful, Harry. Everything's wonderful. And you know what we're going to do after the first matinee? Have dinner, maybe? We're going to get married. Married? Harry. Oh, darling. The first week in September. Open at the palace and get married at the little church around the corner. (laughs) Open at the palace and get married at the little church around the corner. Wonderful. Then in the middle of August, Harry got a tough break. He'd made the palace on his talent. The palace, he and Joe had beat their brains out to reach. But his chance was snatched away from him before he could take it. Harry got his draft notice, ordered to report immediately. And on the day he took his army physical, something snapped in the boy's mind. Relax, baby, relax. The palace is okay. We're going to kill him. Well, what do you mean? You mean the army rejected you? For six weeks. They gave me a six-week deferment. We can play the palace, get married, and have a honeymoon before the time's up. But how... Why did they... Harry, what happened to your hand? Oh, oh, that's nothing. Just a little accident. I dropped the lid of my trunk on it. It's keep me out of the army for six weeks. But don't worry, baby. It won't keep us from playing the palace. Well, what are you looking at me that way? Well, it was an accident. Joe, don't you believe me? All right, then. I did do it on purpose. But I only did it for us. Well, you believe that, don't you? Oh, I feel sorry for you, Harry. Terribly, desperately sorry. Joe, you can only listen There's only one thing you can tell me. Goodbye. Leave me alone. I never want to see you again as long as I live. Never. That's what busted up Palmer and Hayden, eh, Jimmy? Yep, and right after that, Joe disappeared, and things went from bad to worse for Harry. He realized what a terrible thing he'd done, and, well, he tried to enlist in the Army, the Navy, the Marines, anywhere. But none of them would take him because he crippled his hand permanently. The next time I saw either of them was, oh, several months later, in France. My outfit had just come back from the front, and I walked into a YMCA concert and saw Joe on the stage singing.
As soon as she'd finished taking her bows, I hurried backstage and met her, just as she was going to her dressing room. Jimmy! Oh, Jimmy, come here and let me put my arms around you. Joe, let me look at you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're sensational. Thank you. Say, how about you and me stepping out tonight, showing these Frenchmen what they can really do in a town like Paris, huh? Oh, it's a deal, but I got one more number to do. Will you wait till I get ready? I've been waiting a long time for you, baby. <laughs> I'll only be a minute. I want to freshen my makeup up. Well, you know me, Joe. I'm a good waiter. I'll be right with you. Hey, Jimmy. Jimmy Metcalf, is that you? Well, Harry Palmer. So how long have you been over here? I just landed a few hours ago. Good to see you, Harry. How's it going? Oh, not good, Jimmy. I thought it'd be better over here, but it's not. Not in a YMCA uniform. Oh, what are you giving me? I'm in the right army, but I got the wrong suit on. Harry, you know what's the matter with you? You've been walking around with a picture book villain in your pocket, and every once in a while you take it out and look at it like it was a mirror. Look, Jimmy, if you're going to hand me that... You know, you did something because you thought it was the right thing to do at the time. And you had two good reasons for doing it. Because you wanted to get someplace that meant more to you than anything in the world. And because you loved someone an awful lot. Thanks, Hector. Can I buy you a drink? Can you buy me a drink? Say, certainly. Sure. Oh, uh... Oh, say, I just happened to think. I got a date, uh... date to meet a fella. Tell you what you do, Harry. You, uh... You sit right there in that chair and wait for me, huh? Okay. I won't be gone over ten minutes. I'll see you. I'll be here. Well, here I am, Jimmy, all signed, sealed, and delivered. Harry, what are you doing here? Joe. Gosh, I never expected to see you. Oh, Joe. How have you been, Harry? How's everything in New York? You know, it's a funny thing. Just the other day, I was thinking... Joe. Joe, you don't have to skip rope for me. I know the boat has sailed as far as we're concerned. And I know I'm not a great guy in a lot of people's books. But I don't care about a lot of people. Joe, coming over in the boat, I took an inventory and... You know something? Right up to this minute, my only claim to fame is... You were once my girl. Joe, you have to tell me. Not a million other people, but you have to tell me that... I'm not a coward. That you don't hate me. That's the medal I want to win in this war. You're not a coward, Harry, and... And you know that I'd... I'd never hate you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks an awful lot. And I'll take good care of that medal. Harry took good care of that medal, too. And he earned another one from the Army. He and Joe got back together then, huh? Nope. In fact, they didn't see each other again until after the war. Joe had become pretty famous as the sweetheart of the U.S. Army, and when she returned to America, she was booked right in here, in the palace, as a special added attraction. Oh, I tell you, I never felt so sorry for anyone in my whole life as I felt for Harry Palmer the day Joe opened at the palace, without him. Yeah, that's a heartbreak. He called me and... Well, he insisted that I come down here with him to give the kid a hand, he said. I remember we were sitting in the third row when the orchestra played Joe on. You know, Jimmy, I ruined my whole life trying to play the palace with Joe. 
and I didn't make it. We were going to be married after our first matinee here. Yeah, I know, kid. Look at her. She's wonderful, isn't she? There's nobody in the world like her. And she's on top now, right where she belongs. Yeah. Too bad you aren't up there with her. No. No, I blew my chance, and I've got nobody to blame but myself. Oh, but it's a kick knowing she got there. Hey, Harry, she sees us. Yeah. Back to the people, baby. Harry! Harry! You made it, baby. It's the palace. Oh, come up here on the stage, Harry, with me. What? Come on, old Jimmy. Make him come up. Okay, here he comes. Oh, Harry, this is wonderful. Yeah, congratulations, Joe. You sound great. Well, where'd you disappear to, Harry? I looked all over France for you. Well, that's where I was, all over France. <laughs> Hey, there goes our song. Yeah, just the way we planned it for our first matinee here. Palmer and Hayden. That was us, baby. That is us, Harry. What? You're not trying to back out of that date we had at the little church around the corner, are you? Oh, Joe, do you really mean that? I mean it, Harry. And what are we waiting for? Let's finish this first matinee. <laughs> the bells are ringing for me and my guest. For me and my gal, a Lady Esther Screen Guild player's presentation. Our thanks and appreciation to you, Judy Garland, Gene Kelly, and Dick Powell for appearing with us tonight. Oh, uh, I think we have some very special thanks for Dick Powell, Mr. Bradley. Dick stepped into George. <laughs> Dick stepped into George Murphy's role on practically five minutes' notice when George came down with a light case of the measles. Well, Judy, I can. <laughs> I'm glad to help, Judy. Anything we can do to benefit the Motion Picture Relief Fund is a pleasure. Oh, you're right, Dick. And now, before we tell you about next week's program, here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Garland. I ran into the daughter of an old friend the other day, and she told me she was in training at a hospital, learning to be a nurse. I asked her how she liked it, and her eyes lit up. I love it, she said. It's a chance to be really useful, to help people. But then she looked down at her hands and said, All except scrubbing. Scrubbing my hands a thousand times a day. They're all right now, but you should have seen them a week ago. 
They were so rough and red from all that scrubbing. I looked at her hands and saw that they were really beautiful, so smooth and white. And I asked her what she did for them. Well, here's what she told me. She told me that at night, just before going to bed, she puts a thick coating of Lady Esther face cream on her hands. Then she puts on a pair of old cotton gloves and keeps them on all night. In the morning, she says, her hands are so white and smooth, so soft and lovely to look at, you'd never dream she was a busy nurse who has to scrub her hands dozens of times a day. Now, if your hands are doing a lot of extra work these days, why don't you try this nurse's helpful suggestion, Lady Esther Face Cream, to help keep your hands soft, smooth, and young-looking. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present a delightful comedy entitled This Thing Called Love, starring Alan Joslin, George Brent, and Alice Fay. Judy Garland can soon be seen in presenting Lily Mars. Gene Kelly is soon to be seen in DeBerry Was a Lady, both Metro Golden Mayor Productions. Dick Powell is soon to be seen in Paramount's Technicolor picture, Happy Go Lucky. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To save materials, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream. Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you, good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. For movie preview audiences, the biggest problem with For Me and My Gal was the characterization of the leading man, who not only betrays his wife, but injures his hand to avoid service in World War I. Even before the U.S. entered the war, using a draft dodger as a romantic lead was questionable. After the start of the war effort, it seemed almost deluded. During production, director Busby Berkeley added a scene in which Garland sends her brother, played by future director Richard Quine, off to war to the tune of Till We Meet Again. But that only underlined Harry's cowardice. When the film previewed, the audiences overwhelmingly expressed their disapproval of Kelly's character, saying that Garland should have ended up with the character of Jimmy K. Metcalf, as played by actor George Murphy at the film's conclusion. Louis B. Mayer blamed Murphy for being too likable and even told him, quote, you spoiled the picture, unquote. He ordered three weeks of retakes that would give Kelly more of a conscience and cut down on Murphy's presence. He even had the finale reshot without Murphy. The original footage is lost, though the soundtrack is available on CD. As disappointed as Murphy was, For Me and My Gal became a hit, clearly establishing Gene Kelly as a film star and paving the way for more ambitious roles for Judy Garland. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio. I'm Michael Weber.